This is the visible hand. My name is Jordi Blanes Vidal. My guest today is Carter Braxton, who is an assistant professor in economics at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Today we are going to talk about his paper, Technological Change and the Consequences of Job Loss, which is joined with Bloody Tasca. The paper was published in the American Economic Review in 2023. Carter, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Carter, if, if I lose my job, I would expect that it may take a while until I find another job. But a literature in labor economics has documented that even after I get another job, I will expect to earn less than I was earning in that previous job that I lost. In other words, as you say in the paper, job loss causes a large and permanent decline in earnings. Prior to your paper, what were the leading explanations as to why this decline in earnings takes place? Yeah, great question. So just to set the stage for this, um, it's been well documented in the US over time, as, as well as in other countries, that exactly as you said, job loss leads to a large and persistent decline in earnings. And I, I think it, it helps just to fix ideas on, on one point. Um, when we talk about these job losses, we're often looking at workers who are well attached to their firm, and they've lost their job because something happened to the firm, not through, you know, some fault of their own or them, them being like a bad worker, if you will. So often it's, you know, these firms are laying off large numbers of, of their workers or the whole plant or company is shutting down. And so, um, so again, it's been well-documented. These are large and persistent declines in earnings. And so what we've known about these, at least in the U.S., is that it's often tied to occupation switching. So if you can get back into your original occupation, so the type of job that you do, often the scarring effect isn't too bad. But if you switch occupations often, that it's quite uh, it's quite costly. So that's in terms of data. In terms of theory and our and our models, um, there's this seminal paper by um, Davis and von Wachter that's about 10 years old now, and they show that our canonical labor search models, these models about how workers find and lose jobs and you know move across jobs, really fail to match the the size and the persistence of earnings losses. So their their paper really puts out a, a puzzle in the literature that you know our models fail to to match this fact. And then what's kind of emerged in the in the 10 years since is that there's this modeling trick you can use, which is if you have a model with human capital, you can upon job loss have a coin flip, where if the coin comes up heads, you keep your human capital. And if the coin comes up tails, then you lose some of your human capital. And depending on how you set up the coin flip and how, how much human capital you, you lose, you can get your model to, uh, to match these facts. So we've, uh, I guess to summarize, we, we've known um, in the data, it's about occupations. And in the last 10 years or so in our models, we, we thought it maybe has something to do with human capital. I will react in a second to, you know, the, the main thrust of what you said. But, mm -hmm. but I, I take, before that, I take your point that when I said, if I lose my job, I should have, you corrected me implicitly. I should have said, if I lose my job through no fault of my own, right? Because if I lose my job because I'm a terrible worker, then clearly, you know, that must mean that other future employers also think that I'm a terrible worker. But, you know, the, the emphasis here on exogenous is, is the exactly. right one. Exactly. That, that's the key. And so that's kind of kind of the fixed ideas. Those are the, the workers we're trying to think about in, in, this, uh, in this strand of the literature. So the second thing that you said is, oh, it seems that from the empiric side, very often there is a change in occupation, mm -hmm. uh, and that's when the uh, decrease in earnings is most pronounced. Uh, from the from the theory side, it seems that there's researchers have found that modeling this type of movement as potentially involving, perhaps with some randomness, a loss in human capital, you know, seems to be helpful in trying to feed the data. I guess that the natural question is what human capital, right? So, so typically we think of general versus a firm specific, you know, I mean, if, if, if I lose either of them, that's clearly not going to be good news, but the fact that empirically you are introducing the occupation element here as well implies that in addition to general and firm specific, there could be an occupation level human capital that is also important. Exactly. So, I mean, you can think that, you know, all of these, you know, when we're comparing displaced workers, we're trying to figure out, you know, there's um, something that's a, to take one more step back. Uh, the literature really started out by showing on average, these really large and persistent declines. And then over the last 10 years or so, it's um, it's also 
also been shown that there's a huge amount of heterogeneity in these, these earnings losses. Some workers have really small losses and they seem fine. Some even have gains. And then some have these really catastrophic losses. And so when we're comparing within workers who have lost their jobs and we're looking at this heterogeneity, well, they've all separated from their firm. So they've all lost firm-specific human capital. So that can give us some way to think about that. And then when we say that it's it's really about the occupation switchers, that that leads you to think it could be something related to, to occupation-specific human capital or something tied to the to the occupation they're in before. So I think you're you're exactly right that this, when you start to go down the human capital. Um, thought process, you start to think about the types of human capital and the, and the data starts to point you towards thinking about occupation-specific human capital potentially. So what is the uh, main explanation that you propose and test for uh, in this paper? What is the you know, main thrust of the idea? Sure. So that really the, the idea of the paper is that um, technological change uh, you know, introduces new skill requirements into new jobs. And the way technological change works is that if you have the skills to use the new technology, that can increase your productivity and your wages. But if you don't have the skills to, to use the new technology, and, and if you lose your job, then it can be harder for you to get back into your, your prior occupation. Then you have to search for a job in, a, in another occupation uh, where your skills are still employable, but those tend to be lower paying. And so in the, that's kind of the idea of the paper. And in the, in the paper, I, I formalized this in a two-period, two-occupation model that, that we can go through. Um, but really, kind of the idea of the paper is that um, it generates a couple of predictions that uh, if you're in an occupation that's more exposed to technological change, you're going to have a larger decline in earnings and that it's going to work through occupation switching. You're going to be more likely to switch occupations, as well as the fact that um, the, the larger losses are really going to be concentrated amongst the occupation switchers who are more exposed to technological change. So I, I do want to go into how the model works, uh, you mm -hmm. know, in a second. But, but before that, I think that the, the general idea of, okay, I have lost my job if my occupation has moved, you know, away from my school, skill requirements, then clearly as I write my CV and send it, I'm not going to be attractive, you know, to, mm -hmm. to future employees. That, that seems fine. But it will seem that also, even if I remain in the job and I don't increase my skills, but the technological change in my job becomes, you know, becomes higher, well, not very good things are going to happen to me. Presumably my earnings profile is not going to be as steep as you know, it will have been in a setting in which my current skills continue to meet the requirements of my job. I think that's exactly right. And so, um, so another place I should I should be clear and try to try to kind of fix ideas is so in in um, there's kind of two views of of technological change in the literature. One is um, embodied technological change. And that's technological change that occurs through newly created jobs. Um, and there's disembodied technological change, which occurs through existing matches. And so um, a choice I make in my paper is to focus on embodied technological change, which is, again, technological change through new jobs. And the reason for that is um, it goes back to our discussion earlier about the type of job loss that I'm looking at in this paper. I'm trying to look at job loss through no fault of your own. Something happened to your firm. And so if you have a model with this, with the other type of technological change, disembodied technological change, you could get exactly what you're just talking about, where some workers, they're not staying up with their current job and they, you know, their, their wages may, uh, wage growth may slow and then they subsequently may get fired. But I don't, you know, the literature is trying to think about, you know, something happened to these firms and then what happens to the workers. So to, to try to line everything up with that, I, I do, um, again, embodied technological change and, you know, Certainly both occur in the world and something to explore more in the future is thinking about exactly what you're getting at. But but for today, it's going to be um, a technological change that occurs through new jobs. So can you describe now, not obviously in out of detail, but you know, the, the, the main features of the model that you have uh, that create this, you know, this uh, um, effect of the technological change in occupation on the size of the uh, earning losses upon displacement? Sure. So the so the main features of the model is going to be that 
occupations are going to be heterogeneous in the technology that they use. So you can think of there's being like a, like a high skill occupation and a low skill occupation. And the high skill occupation uses a, a higher level of technology. And so you can think that, you know, you have like computer program, computer programmers who use, um, use computers and software, and then you have a, you know, a lower, uh, maybe more manual, manual job. Workers are going to be heterogeneous in their human capital or their skills, and they're going to search for jobs across these two different types of occupations. And to use a technology is going to require a minimum amount of skills. And so what you're going to get is that the high skill workers go to the, the high skill occupation and the lower skill workers go to the low skill occupation. And so that's kind of the initial setup in the model. And so then what I do is I say, well, imagine a new technology gets introduced into the high skill occupation. Something I'm going to, going to show in the paper and something that um, prior researchers have shown is that new technologies tend to enter tend to be introduced in highly skilled occupations, and then they kind of trickle their way down. Um, so I'm going to do a one-time increase in, uh, you know, all the new jobs in the high-skill occupation are suddenly going to use a new higher level of technology. So what's going to happen in the model is that if you were in the high-skill occupation and you lose your job, now you're again having to search over, you know, the low-skill jobs, which are just like before. But now the high-skill jobs have a higher technology requirement relative to before. And so if you you know, have the human capital to satisfy that requirement, you're just going to search back into that occupation. And you can actually get a little bit of, a, of an earnings gain because of the, the new technology, which makes you more productive. Alternatively, if you don't have the skills to match with this new higher level of technology in your prior occupation, you have to move down and search for a job in the, in the low tech technology occupation, and you suffer a large decline in earnings. And so what that does is that gives us a couple of predictions. And uh, the first being that workers who are more exposed to technological change, workers whose occupations are changing more rapidly, they're going to suffer larger declines in earnings. Second, they're going to be more likely to switch occupations. And then third, uh, these larger earnings losses, they're going to be concentrated amongst the occupation switchers. The occupation stayers are going to be fine. And so, um, so that's kind of the predictions of the, the simple theory. And then uh, where the paper, I'm happy to talk more about the about this, but uh, where the paper goes is then trying to test these predictions in the data. I want to interrogate one specific assumption that you have alluded sure. to throughout, you know. So in, in the model, you use something, some production technology that you call is up to the task. Yes. And this works uh, in the following way. So a, an occupation is associated with a level of technology. and Technology also requires a level of human capital. Okay, so this means that a worker who doesn't have the minimum level of human capital to be in that occupation essentially produces zero. It's completely useless. Okay, if you have that minimum, then it doesn't matter how amazing you are, you are still producing that minimum. But but this is the way it works, and. I guess that this I guess that this makes sense. Like if I, you know, interrogate, you know, introspect a little bit here. So I wouldn't want to have somebody who is not qualified enough, say, in charge of some nuclear button, for instance, mm -hmm. right? Like, yes. So maybe the you know the the job is so important that that the, the downside risk is very high of not having somebody who is qualified mm -hmm. enough. I might as well not have anybody, but mm -hmm. you know. Other than these type of extreme cases of you know like a really risky jobs or something, what type of what type of uh, rationale you have you know uh, for this type of production technology as to why you, a worker cannot say you know what I have a lot of occupation specific human capital in here I know that I am not great in terms of using computers or something I'm not up to the very latest program but. I know a program that is a little bit worse. Why don't you pay me less and still give me a job? Why is that not possible generally? Good question. And so it is It is certainly a stark assumption that I make that it is, um, if you have the skills, uh, so in, in the model, the, the amount you produce is a function of the, uh, the technology you use. And it is definitely a stark assumption that either you produce with the technology or you produce nothing. I mean, I think you could imagine, you know, we could think of jobs um, that are extremely high skill, such as, you know, top level computer programmers, surgeons, where, I mean, you could put me in front of those, those tasks, and I, I think I would produce nothing. Um, in the, you know, to your question about what if you had something a little, a little 
you know, a little smoother, um, where, you know, if I'm not quite good enough, I can still produce a little bit less, you know, in the, in the simple model, you know, I do two occupations. I'm trying to make a really stark point in the, uh, in when, in the, on the back end of the paper or something we, we may talk about, there's a, there's a quantitative model where, um, in the baseline, there's 10 occupations in the appendix, I go all the way up to 20 and then you know you have you know the occupations are much more more closely aligned so you know the the difference between you know i may not be quite good enough for this one but then i go down just to like a slightly lower level of technology and produce there so that that gives you kind of i think the flavor of of what you're getting at that um you know it's not quite as all, all or nothing you can go down just a little bit and still be able to produce um and there you know the point isn't a start but it allows you to put some numbers on things more more easily i think so obviously this this paper is scary for those of us who have jobs, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so therefore, I, I, you know, it worried me quite a little bit when I read it, and I thought, okay, well, that's that's a problem for me because many years ago I learned how to use Tata. Mm-hmm. But then I saw that there is now Python, and there is R, and I, I don't know any of that, <laughs> you know. And I have, you know, I, I think that, you know, a reasonably good job at LSE, mm-hmm. but if LSE closed down. And I had to put my CV. I wouldn't be able to say, well, I, I I can use Python and R because I only know how to use data. But, you know, maybe that doesn't mean that I will work, you know, in something else. I will maybe go down a hundred positions, you know, in the hierarchy of universities and I still might get a job, you know? Sure. Yeah, sure. That, that, that is the type of thing that I was thinking about. But Sure. So yeah, I think you're exactly right. And um, something that is in the quantitative model but not the um not the, uh, the the simple model is you know you were kind of describing a wage ladder almost and you know lse is you know a top place and near the top but you know um if something happens there maybe you have to go down and so that, that is something I, I do take into account in the in the quantitative model that there's kind of a, a ranking of jobs within an occupation um so that's something uh you know that, that does play a role quantitatively but uh to, to make the point stark uh, was, was left out of the simple model. So I'm going to repeat the predictions here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now correct me at any time if you think that sure. I'm misrepresenting or or you want to add something. So displace uh, workers from the uh, low technology occupation incur no earning losses upon re- regaining employment. Okay, that is, mm-hmm. I don't know what job you were, you, you were referring to a manual you know, a manual worker, mm-hmm. a manual worker that loses their job. Well, the technology has not moved. You know, there is nobody else really who wants that type of job. So it's easy mm-hmm. to find again, yep. no, no losses mm-hmm. there. Okay. That's good. Yep. Displace workers from the high technology occupation incur earning losses. Okay. Because, you know, m- maybe for some of them, the technology has moved on. They don't have the required skills. So in expectation, mm-hmm. they incur earning losses. Okay? Yes. But you also said that it is only those who cannot find a job in their previous occupation. If you mm-hmm. happen to have skills such that you find another job in the in the previous occupation, well, you are not going to be associated with a, a you know an earnings, an earnings loss. In fact, I wanted to mention this because it seems to me that in fact there is the opposite prediction, right? If if a a worker loses uh, her job in a in a high technology occupation, but finds another job in that occupation. That means that, well, the level of human capital is sufficient, not for the all requirements when that person got their job in the past, but for the new requirements. So we should expect that there is a an earnings improvement. For those displaced who remain in the occupation, is that is that not correct? That, that, that's exactly right. So um, in the paper, I, I go through. Um, there's two cases you need to consider for someone who loses their job in the in like the high tech occupation. Uh, the first is the one you just described. Someone who they lost their high tech job. The new technologies come in, which has raised the skill requirements for the high tech job, and this this person has the human capital to satisfy that. Uh, that criteria so they get back into the high skill occupation and because the amount they produce is a function of the technology they use they're using a better technology they see an earnings gain the second case you need to consider is the person who had the skills to do the high tech job before the new technology was introduced 
but does not have the skills to do it after the new technology is introduced. That's going to be the person who switches down and suffers the larger decline in earnings. And so, um, uh, so when we think about the earnings losses amongst the high skill job, you have to weight those two things uh, together. Um, so there's the you know the people who stay get a gain, the people who switch get a loss. And um, under you know a technical condition, uh, if the weights are just right, you'll get that the the high skill have a have a loss on on aggregate, and that's gonna that's gonna give you the prediction that if you're more exposed, um, you suffer a larger decline in earnings on average. But there is heterogeneity within that occupation. Sure, uh, we will go into the empirics in a second, mm -hmm. but I now want to interrogate how these predictions depend or differ um, on the two elements of this model that I, that I think are the substantial elements. Okay, so there there are two things that are happening in this model. Right, at least two things, but two things that I want to emphasize right right now. The first one is that occupations are different from each other. So that is one thing. You have two occupations, one of them pays more, the other one pays less. The second is that the occupations differ also in terms of the technology, both levels and growth. Okay, so, so we have the, the occupation mm -hmm. side and the technology side. And I was wondering whether we could, what set of predictions here we could replicate if we ignore the, all the difference in technology and we focus only on the difference across occupations. So, so imagine that we have two occupations as you started. There's one occupation that pays more, that one that pays less, but that has nothing to do with technology. Let's say mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe there is some type of a principal agent problem or something. The monitoring technology is very good for one occupation, not so good for the other occupation. So we need to pay rents. We need to share rents with those people who, for whatever reason, we cannot monitor very well. The ones that we can monitor well, we extract every single rent out of them. We pay them less, okay? Mm -hmm. So now there will be like a hierarchy of occupations. One of them is better than the other. Mm -hmm. Imagine that workers are all homogeneous. Everybody will want the good occupation. Nobody will want, mm -hmm. you know? Okay, so now we have displaced workers. Companies shut down randomly, et cetera, et cetera. We will still have the prediction that displaced workers from the bad occupation incur no earning losses, but those from the good occupation incur earning losses in expectation, right? Mm -hmm. But if if I have randomly lost my job in the good occupation that, pay, that pays me rents, and for whatever reason I manage to get another job in the same occupation, then I will have no loss in earnings. It is still the case that only those who change occupation are going to be affected, right? So, 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 for, so forgive me if I if I missed it, but so um, in in your setup, I, I suppose you have to get some dispersion of workers across occupations, and I suppose if you had like a random search setting in mind, that could get you workers into both the your, your low and high. But then after after layoff, I think you would you would have some in, in the setting you were describing. Maybe I missed it, but you, I think you'd have some people going low to high, which would give you um, earnings gains amongst the occupation switchers, and you'd also have earnings losses for the people going from high to low through the through the um, through the kind of the search technology after layoff. So I, I think that would kind of. Uh, mute the effect if i if i understand your, your setting correctly that's i think you have described it well so i was i had in mind that every time that you lose your job you buy a lottery mm -hmm. ticket and that mm -hmm. determines where you end up and yep. then you are saying that in your model it is not possible to move from low to high because i don't have the skills but in my model it is possible because i may be lucky with my new lottery ticket and exactly and that that means that in my model, there are earnings gains, but in your model, there cannot be earning gains about those who lose their job in the low, uh, in the, in the bad occupation. Exactly. Exactly. Which, which is again, is a, is a, is a stark assumption that I make, but what you see in the data is that in terms of kind of the ranking of, uh, occupations in terms of technology, you rarely see people going up that ladder after job loss. So, so it's a stark assumption I make, but the data broadly seems to support it. I mean, I guess that if, if, 
if we were to augment, okay, obviously I'm increasing the degrees of freedom here. <laughs> so that, sure. that I, you know, but I admit that if we were to augment uh, my my mother with some type of occupation, specific human capital that you have accumulated, because on the first day that you join the labor market, mm -hmm. you end up there, but then, sure. you know, there's some type of stickiness, yeah. then that will mm -hmm. help me. That would come that closer would. to you, let's say. That absolutely right? would. That absolutely would. That will be okay. Wonderful. So the next part, uh, as we were like anticipating, uh, consists of gathering data to examine empirically whether these uh, pattern, these predictions that uh, that uh, you have described are in the data or not. What is the data that you use? Sure. So there are two main data sets that I use. And um, again, just to fix ideas, I need to uh, create a measure of technological change at the occupation level. And I need to um, have data on the outcomes of displaced workers. And I need to know their earnings before and after job loss, as well as their occupation before and after job loss. Let me first tell you about the data that I'm going to use to measure technological change. So I'm going to use data from, um, they're now called Lightcast Technologies. And at, at the time I, I started working with them, they were called Burning Glass. So I, I'll probably refer to it as Burning Glass. But um, they collect online vacancies. And so what they do is they run a series of web scraping algorithms to identify newly posted vacancies and collect all the information included in the vacancies. So they examine about 40,000 job boards and company websites every day, and they really aim to capture the universe of online vacancies. They get about a million per month. So you know, we have a huge number of, of vacancies per month where we can see the firm that posted the vacancy, the occupation that the vacancy is posted for, and then the really unique thing is we get the list of all the skills that are included in the vacancy. So you can think about kind of general things like communication and writing skills. We also see forms of computer skills, such as Microsoft Excel, general computer skills, as well as very specific forms of, of software, such as like Python or R, uh, like, like you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to use these skill requirements to try to create a measure of technological change by occupation. And the idea is that if I know the skills that a firm is looking for, then I know something about the technology that that firm is using. So when I see a change in skill requirements, I can infer a change in technology. And in particular, in my paper, I'm going to focus on computer and software requirements. Um, there are a couple of reasons for that. First, uh, there's a long tradition in the literature of using the spread of computers as a, as a measure of technological change. Um, Alan Kruger and David Autor have some classic papers doing that. There's also some recent work in the, in the management science literature arguing that innovation in the workplace now commonly occurs through... Um, through new forms of software as, as well as computers. So I'm going to measure the, the share of vacancies within an occupation and year that list a computer or software requirement. I'm going to do that for every occupation and every year that I have. And then I'm going to measure that change over time. And the, the burning glass data when, um, when I was writing this paper runs from 2007 to 2017. So I'm going to measure this 10-year change in computer requirements within an occupation. So that's going to be my measure of uh, technological change and um, and I'm commonly going to refer to that as the exposure to technological change. And those are going to be occupations where computer and software requirements have increased the most. The, the second piece of data is going to be data on displaced workers. And so I'm going to use the, the displaced worker supplement to the CPS. So people might be familiar with the CPS survey that's been, been widely used in economics. That's the survey we get the unemployment rate from. And every two years, they, they do a supplement where they ask you, have you lost your job for one of the following three reasons? Your company or plant shut down, your shifter position was eliminated, or your firm had insufficient work. And again, the idea behind these questions is that they're trying to identify workers who have lost their job through no fault of their own. Something happened to their firm and that led to them losing their job. And so if you, uh, if you answer yes to any of those three questions, you then get included in the supplement and you're asked about, well, how much money did you make right before you lose your job? What were you doing right before you lost your job in terms of your occupation? And then what are you doing now? How much money do you make now? And what is your occupation? And then they also ask things about, you know, full-time, part-time, uh, before and after uh, job loss, as well as, you know, how long were you unemployed? Um, so I'm going to combine those two data sets to try to test the predictions that we were talking about earlier. So one thing that I was surprised is that your sample only has 6,700 individuals. Yeah. Now, given that the U.S. is so enormous and that you have this data for 10 years, I how is it possible that you end up with such small number? Like this is, you know, this is the census, right? Yeah. So, 
Well, no, this is, this is not the census. So I, I, I do mean, use a supplement to, of the census. But. Oh, so, um, so it's a supplement of the of the CPS survey. So the the CPS survey ah. is a yeah Sorry, yes yes no okay. no worries no yeah, worries. the CPS so survey I, I, okay yeah yeah so it's a so um but but for the for the listeners so it's a, it's a supplement to the CPS. It's done in either uh, January or February every other year, and so I'm using the the 2010, 12, 14, 16, and 18 uh, supplements. And so, you know, you're only looking at the people who were in the CPS in those mm -hmm. six years, and then you have to say that you were displaced. And so about six, I think in my sample, 6.6% of people report that they're displaced. So, you know, you, you know, you start, you, you get down you're to a relatively small, yeah, yeah. You get down to a pretty small sample relatively quick. Um, so what is the regression that you ran? Sure. So the kind of the, the baseline specification is going to be the, the left-hand side variable is going to be the change uh, in log earnings around job loss. And then the main uh, explanatory variable is going to be my measure of the exposure to technological change. So again, that's going to be that change in computer and software requirements between 2007 and 2017, and then a series of controls. So think, you know, things like uh, age, gender, education, a bunch of year fixed effects and, you know, survey year fixed effects. So in this regression, if you didn't have anything, you just had an intercept, mm -hmm. that would be that number that we started with at the beginning, which was the number that seemed surprisingly high or, or that had been documented that was very high, right? Like the it, intercept here is the mean. The, exactly. The, the intercept would be the average. Exactly. That's exactly because, right. Because the sample includes only people who were displaced. Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay. So... And and this uh, this measure of uh, technological change uh, is, as you said, the right hand side. In this baseline specification, what do you find? So what I find is that if you're in an occupation that's more exposed to technological change, you have a larger decline in earnings. Um, so that supports the the first prediction from the from the simple model. And to, to provide a number on it, um, if you're in an occupation that is one standard deviation above the mean, you have a decline in earnings after job loss. That's about three and a half percentage points larger uh, than someone who's at the who's at the mean exposure to technological change. So you you mentioned that a potential concern is that occupations with greater technological change are shrinking because they are replacing workers with machines. Can you expand on why that is that is a concern and what do you do about it? Sure. So, so you could imagine that maybe the occupations that are introducing computer and software requirements the most intensively are doing so because they want to lower the number, uh, the firms that are, are doing that are doing so because they want to, to lower the number of workers that they have to have to employ, that they're thinking, well, if we have, you know, more computers, better software, maybe we, we only need, you know, two computer programmers instead of five. And so you, you could, if, if you're worried about that, you might think that the result I just told you is in fact picking up that the demand for workers in these occupations is going down, and it's not really about the not really about the the change in technology requirements. And so, what I do uh, to try to alleviate concerns about that is I measure the change in employment by occupation over my sample period. So I add an extra control variable, uh, which again is the change in employment between 2007 and 2017. And what I show in the paper is that leaves the results you know, largely unchanged. It really does not meaningfully change the, the coefficient on the, on the relationship between exposure to technological change and the size of earnings losses. And what's the reason for that is that's maybe a little surprising is that the, the change in employment or the change in demand for workers uh, in your occupation does not influence uh, the size of earnings losses in, in my sample period, uh, which was something I, I wasn't uh, entirely expecting to find. Let me... Let me rephrase what you said, see whether I understood it. So, so you're saying, okay, so we were, we were like a bunch of say accountants or something, mm -hmm. and we were doing the final accounts of the year by hand, like adding mm -hmm. up, you know, yep. and subtracting by hand. And then where computers arrive and it was like a five of us, as, as you said, and then the company said, well, we're going to give you computers, but that means that we only need two of you to do it. And then the other three get fired. And of course, because everybody else is doing this, it's going to be very hard for them, you know, to find other jobs because all the accounting firms are doing the same type of substitution. 
that will be the problem that you're suggesting. That exactly. will predict that the size of accountants shrinks. That will be embedded in the in the story that we have just given. But mm-hmm. actually, you're saying that doesn't seem to happen. Whenever we put more machines in accountancy, the number of accountants is actually going up. Also, so is it actually so the in the data it turns out. Uh, uh, for for my period, 2007 to 2017, uh, the relationship between uh, the change in technology requirements and the change in employment is actually a very flat profile. There's really not much of a correlation. And so, um, so in your story, there were the two things happening. Um, you know, uh, we introduced computers and we cut employment. And it's you know in the data you know there are some of those cases, but there are also cases where we're we're introducing computers and we're gaining employment, and in the aggregate that uh, that kind of averages out. Um, so I will I will say that there is one additional difference between this mm-hmm. story and and your data, which is that this story is not a story of uh, factories shutting down, right? It's a story of it's, it's a story in which the displaced. Workers are not displaced in the sense of their companies closing, which is the empirical counterpart that you have, right? Therefore, you know it, it's not it's not a case in which we remain as productive, but now somebody else is doing the job. No, we have closed down the factory in in the data. exactly, exactly, exactly. And I, and I think um, maybe this is a slight rephrasing of what you said. I think you know this paper is really a paper about what happens to you when you lose your job. It's not a paper about why you lose your job. And so uh, we can talk more about this later, but something I, I showed in the paper that was surprising to some people is that um, your exposure to technological change is actually not a predictor of your likelihood of being displaced. There's a very flat profile between the, the likelihood of being displaced and your exposure to technological change. But the change in, you know, but the change in employment in your occupation is actually a great predictor for your likelihood of, uh, of getting displaced. So um, yeah, I think that's important to clarify as well. So the second prediction um, that um, we discussed earlier was the fact that this uh, decrease um, in earnings that happens among people who lose their job in occupations strongly affected by technological change only happens to those who, upon losing their job, change occupation. What do you find there? So I'm, I'm, you know, the short answer is I'm going to find uh, results that support that prediction, and I, I do it primarily in a regression setting. But I think it's actually easier to describe the result uh, with, with a graph. And so in the paper, I, sh- I show the following graph. Where on the on the x-axis, I have your exposure to, to technological change, and if you're on the right-hand side of the graph, you're more exposed. If you're on the left-hand side of the graph, you're you're, you're less exposed. And then on the on the y-axis, I'm plotting the change in earnings around job loss. And there's there's two lines in the graph. One for the people who were able to get back into their original occupation, the stairs, and the other line is for the switchers. And so what I show is that uh, first, for the people who were able to get back into their original occupation, there's a really flat profile. So if you're able to get back into your original occupation, uh, exposure to technological change doesn't really influence the size of your earnings losses, and, and it's a relatively small decline that you that you experience. Alternatively, for the occupation switchers. There's a steeply decreasing, there's a downward sloping line, which means that if you're an occupation switcher and your occupation isn't changing much, you actually have a relatively small decline in earnings. And you, you, you know, on average have a, have a pretty minimal effect. But conversely, if, if you switch occupations and your occupation is changing rapidly, then those are the people with the, with the really substantial earnings losses, the people whose earnings have declined by upwards of 30%. Um, and so in my sample, people are typically two years after job loss. They've all found another job. And these are the people who, you know, they're in a highly exposed occupation. They switched occupations and their earnings are 30% lower than they were prior to the job. So those are the people that are really driving the driving the effect. So the, the data seems to support the second prediction of the model. So, so I, I agree with you that these uh, um, decrease, larger decrease in earnings for um, displaced workers in occupations more exposed to technological change, that is indeed consistent um, with the model. For those who change occupations, it's indeed consistent uh, with the model. But the first thing that you said is that if I lose my job and I get another job in the same occupation, it doesn't matter uh, whether I'm in an occupation that is very exposed or less exposed to technological change, the relation is essentially flat. It's 
So I was wondering, uh, haven't we discussed earlier on that there should be some type of like a positive relation because because there is like a, a positive selection element taking place, which is that those who remain in the occupation were actually incredibly smart. And now they are matched with jobs that are able to fully utilize their skills um, upon regaining employment within the same occupation. So you're exactly right. And you're also exactly right to, to point out that there's positive selection and who's able to get back into their um back into the uh, the occupation after job loss. So, you know, as you brought up earlier, the sample here is, is small. You know, I, I think it's about 6,700 people. And so um, to try to dig in more on the stairs and not just limit myself to the displaced, what I do is I leverage everyone in the CPS over this time period. So in the, in the you know, so, so far we've just been talking about a supplement, which is just the displaced workers, but the whole CPS survey, you know, ask individuals, um, you know, how much, uh, how much do you make and, and what are you doing? And given the, the structure of the CPS, you get to see people um, over a, over a 12 month window where you can observe their earnings and their occupation. So to try to get at this point about the occupation stayers, since they're kind of selected towards the people who can stay in these occupations, I run a regression where again on the on the left hand side is your change in earnings over a one year period, and the main explanatory variable is the exposure to technological change in your occupation. And when I consider all occupation stayers in the CPS, we get that positive relationship that, that you were just asking about, that if you're able to stay in one of these high changing occupations, that you see a larger, uh, a larger increase in earnings. And that's, and that's what the, so the, the data supports the, the predictions of the model there, where we have a larger sample to really kind of, kind of dig in. Yes, Vicky, you're running a regression on people who lose their jobs and remain in occupation, but not necessarily because the factory closed. No, 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 sorry. I'm, I'm not saying anything about job loss. I'm uh, looking at the entire sample of people in the CPS right. who report that they have the same occupation today as they did one year ago. There could have been an unemployment spell during that time period. There may not have been. Um, but everyone in the CPS who is an occupation stayer over a one-year window. I mean, this is, this is fine. That, that, mm -hmm. So that makes sense. It's also unsurprising in, insofar as if I am a worker with whatever skills I have, higher or lower, and suddenly there is more capital, right? Which in, in my um, job takes the form of technology, mm -hmm. then my marginal productivity is going to go up. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, in the simplest Econ 101 type of model, my weights will go up as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm more productive. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm not... Um... Yeah, I'm also not sure this is a very surprising result. I think it's maybe more a bit of a, of a sanity check and kind of a, you know, one of the premises of the, of the model was that, you know, when new technologies come in, if you can if you can use it, your wage goes up. And it's kind of, you know, validating that uh, that kind of seemingly simple assumption we started with. So I agree with you. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a shocking result. Before we talk briefly about the quantitative model, any other regression that you want, any other reduced form regression you want to mention? I, I mentioned it earlier. I uh, mentioned it briefly earlier, but I think the the last thing I'd, I'd mention is that um, you know the paper is really about what what uh, what what happens to you when you lose your job, not why you lose your job. And so I, I do show in the paper that um, there's a very flat profile between your likelihood of being displaced and uh, the rate of technological change. And I, I show in the paper what really influences your your likelihood of being displaced is. Um, is the change in demand for workers in your occupation. So the, the change in employment in the aggregate for, for your occupation, that's what really influences the, the likelihood of displacement. Um, and I guess maybe the, the final thing I'll, I'll mention on the empirics is the, the displaced worker supplement is, in, is inherently cross-sectional. I get to measure one change in earnings, these individuals, and um, on average, they're two years after job loss. And one of the appendices, I'm, I'm able to create a, a panel data set using um, some census data and, and social uh, and, and W-2 information. And I, I do show that these workers make persistently lower earnings over uh, over five to 10 years after job loss. So this is a, uh, the workers who are more exposed to technological change earn persistently less than the workers who, who are less exposed. So um, this, uh, this the scarring of the tech logical changes is quite uh, is quite persistent as well. So I'm going to describe again now the first regression, okay? Yep. yep. So because 
I'm a you know very simple person. I like you know to to see what the the basic regressions tell us. Okay, so you have change in earnings on a measure of technological change. One thing that I don't remember now whether you do, but if you don't do it for sure, you you could do it. Is you can put you know instead of like a continuous variable on that measure, you can put maybe five quintile dummies. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. after running the regression. You can conclude that workers in the lowest quintile of technological change barely see a drop in earnings, as workers in the highest quintile see a much larger drop. Okay, you have to mm -hmm. describe yep. this. Very good. Now, in the last part of the paper, you have something that you call a quantitative model. Mm -hmm. And the purpose, you say, is to measure the set of earnings losses that are accounted for by technological change. That's something that you write as motivating the need for the quantitative mm -hmm. model. I am wondering why this simple exercise of a regression with dummies that I just mentioned is not sufficient to do that. Because, you know, in that simple regression, we have said, well, if technological, you know, change is very low for you, then maybe there is barely any uh, loss in earnings. If it is higher, then there is, you know, there it is it is higher. So we can hear the compose. We can, you know, compare people across the distribution and tell us how important quantitatively that effect is by looking at the slope of this effect. Why do you need a complicated quantitative model to measure this share better? I would I would say we need the so the the graph you described is is going to be really helpful when we think about the quantitative models. I think that's a great, great framing. What we need the the quantitative model for is is, is exactly is, is to quantify. Because I think, you know, in the in the graph you were just describing, you know, we have a couple of things going on. Everyone lost their job. So they potentially, you know, fell down the the wage ladder, the job ladder. So we could, you know, try to, you know, that graph will help us put a number on on what is the role of kind of falling down the wage ladder, kind of like earlier you described, you know, if you were to leave LSE and go somewhere, go somewhere else. If you imagine doing the graph you just described, by, but splitting by by switchers and stairs, um, having a bar for for each, you could imagine, you know, the 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 switchers help us think about, you know, occupation specific human capital, which is something we we talked about earlier, and then the slope of the the slope of the line. Um, uh, would help us think about you know the role of tech, the slope of the the bars for the occupation switchers could tell us um, how to think about the role of technological change, and you know maybe a maybe a better empiricist than me could you know put the could use that use those two graphs to get all the numbers um, to kind of do the decomposition, but um, I, I you know stared at those graphs for a long time and. Couldn't quite figure out how to how to how to do that. So I thought, well, I can I can write down a quantitative model, and I'm going to try to set the quantitative model up so that I can match the graphs that you just described, you know, very very closely, and then I can turn off different channels in the model. I can I can turn off technological change. I can turn off you know occupation specific human capital. I can remove a wage ladder, and then see um, see see what we find. So, I you know, and I, I wanted to do. What uh, what you were describing have no you know have no quantitative model at all. But I just you know, I stared at those pictures for a long time and couldn't quite figure it out. What do you find with your quantitative model in terms of the relative shares of these different effects that you mentioned, the firm specific, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So uh, so the quantitative model is is able to match the empirical results uh, very very closely and, and and through kind of bar graphs like uh, like you just described. And so when I turn off technological change in the model, um, I find that earnings losses are about 45% lower. So I take that as evidence that technological change accounts for about 45% of earnings losses after job loss, so a little bit less than half. Uh, when I remove occupation-specific human capital, that removes about 35% of, uh, of earnings losses after job loss. And if I remove a wage ladder, so in the in the model, workers can try to you know kind of climb a wage ladder to get higher wages. If I turn that off, that lowers earnings by about twenty percent. Um, so occupation specific human capital, as well as the wage ladder, do play uh, do play important roles, uh, but but smaller roles than uh, than technological change. So because they um, play smaller roles, I wanted to ask you about 
a policy prescription that you have in your conclusion. So you say at some point, oh, well, something that we learn from here is that maybe there is a role for uh, training workers about displacement so that they can maybe regain the skills that allow them, you know, mm -hmm. to remain maybe in the occupation, etc. Obviously, so technological change is a good thing, uh, but change is always going to be not great for some people, right? Like mm -hmm. with your your neighborhood changes, uh, you know, some people are going to like it the way it was before. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, the case mm -hmm. in life with life in general. So, you know, if if firm specific uh, human capital was very important, I would say that there is a very strong argument for trying to have policies that make workers remain in their occupation to try to counterbalance this effect of technological change. Because here, what you're saying is technological change is good, but there is a negative externality, which is that some people lose their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Now, obviously that's bad for them, but maybe these jobs go to other people who are joining the labor market and are better skilled and so on. There is not that much need for, you know, the displaced workers to remain in that high paying occupation if they are not good enough, you know, to be productive there, they are not able to, uh, to adapt. So you are proposing, okay, well, maybe let's help to retrain them, but the, the retraining them makes more sense if there is a very strong component of friend specific human capital. If they are not, if they don't have something that is being lost upon them changing occupation, you know, maybe, you know, it is right in some sense that they earn less. They had, you know, a good run at it, uh, you know, but maybe these high paying jobs now should go to younger people who, you know, have the, the better skills and are not worse in other dimensions. Sure. So I, I think it is, um, I think it's ultimately, a, I, th I think everything you said, you know, is is definitely there in theory and it's just kind of a, a matter of quantifying it. And so I think that's where kind of a, a quantitative model like we have uh, in this paper, you know, extended in certain dimensions can really kind of help you think about the trade-offs. Because um, I think a lot of it, you know, will come down to how, how costly is it to retrain and, and how large are the, are the benefits to retraining? And if the, if the costs are high and the, the benefits are low, then, then we should not do it and, and just let kind of technological change, um, you know, kind of, you know, proceed on as it does and maybe try to ensure through other, um, maybe through the tax and transfer system. So I think it's, um, so I think, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of it's going to come down to the, to the benefits and the cost of retraining. And that's where, you know, a quantitative model can help you. And, and that's, uh, that's something that, that Bloody and I are, are actively, actively working on now, but your, but your point is exactly right about the, about the trade-offs. Wonderful. Carter, mm -hmm. thank you for coming to the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to other past or future episodes that you may enjoy. Introductory music and logo by Etana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan.